Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of AUSU's Open Mic. I am Karen Fletcher, your president, and I have Carrie Anton and Lisa Boom from Accessibility Services with me today. Welcome. Thanks for inviting us. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you both. I was wondering if we could start with just some introductions. Um, maybe Carrie, you can go first and tell students a little bit about what your role is and what you do at AU. Great. Well, thank you for having us and inviting us to be with you today. Um, so my name is Carrie Anton, and I'm the coordinator of accessibility services. I have the privilege of working um, in my passion every day around accessibility and equity and um, working with a team of um, individuals that are just uh, fabulous in my mind. Um, we have about nine staff in accessibility services now and uh, really just uh, working with people like Lisa every day and makes my day. Um, and they really make my job as a coordinator of that team a lot easier. So I'm Lisa Boone. I am the Accommodation and Assessment Specialist in Accessibility Services at AU. Uh, my pronouns are she, hers. Uh, my role ranges from working directly with students to implement accommodations, uh, particularly when there's more complex planning involved, um, assistive technology assessments and training, discussing more complex accommodation plans with course coordinators, so a pretty wide range that lets me really put my fingers in everything, which, which I love. So I know not all students are super familiar with accessibility services and the different sorts of services you provide. Um, so Carrie, can you tell us what does accessibility services do and what are the different supports it offers students at AU? Well, accessibility services helps Athabasca University to provide equitable education experiences for students with disabilities. Um, and this can be um, disabilities that are permanent, um, sensory, functional, um, psychiatric, um, and also some students that might have prolonged impacts of a, of a condition um, that creates barriers to their academics or some, something that we need to help um, the university to reduce that barrier or students to understand um, the impacts in, in academics. Um, so we assist students and we assist the university. We do that through providing accommodations, but also doing the education and awareness around accessibility, functional accessibility, but also practical accessibility too. Okay. So we typically have six key service areas. They're for accommodations, it's around course management items. So if someone needs to adjust their course contract time um, or, or on, a, on an individual basis, they might need some other course piece um, adjustment that is an accommodation that doesn't interfere with essential core components of that course or program. We also do assistive technology services, uh, which means we help students to determine what technology will best assist them um, related to the, the needs that they're um, experiencing. Uh, assistance for. So we buy software and we have some hardware as well that we borrow to students that are registered with our departments. Um, and then we also do alternate format course materials. So students are not able to work with um, the material that the university provides everyone, but they might need a different version, like a PDF version that's searchable or a hard copy, right? Um, so yeah, so we do that. And we also do um, referral to internal and external organizations and support services, as well as the accessibility education and awareness. And of course, probably one of our most 
busy is exam accommodations or exam mm. accommodated exams. So when someone needs accommodations of some kind in an exam situation, then we are right there to help the student. I'm realizing um, we're using the word accessibility a lot, but for some of our listeners who might not be really familiar with what accessibility is, would you mind explaining what makes something accessible or what you would mean by accessibility? Sure. So what I tend to define accessibility as is um, it's beyond just being open or available. It actually allows someone to have access to similar information or similar functions so they can participate and contribute. So if there's a student with a short-term need, like let's say someone broke their arm or they've gotten really sick, how do they know whether this is short enough, I should just talk to my tutor or course coordinator, or this is um, enough to make me need to qualify or, or contact, I guess, accessibility services? What happens often where students have what might be called like a prolonged experience or they might have something called a temporary disability. Mm-hmm. And you're, a good example would be someone who broke their arm. Now, if it's their dominant arm that they would write with or type with, um, then that would be a, 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 a severe impact on how much time they need to write an exam or assignment right, mm-hmm. to do their coursework. And it just becomes way more challenging to use a computer um, if you're using a single hand, right? And so, so that, that is where they might want to contact us to see what accommodations could be put in place. I think with, you know, we're seeing this even more, if I could add on to that, Carrie, um, we're seeing this with long haul COVID or even just COVID. Um, Some people are sick for a weekend or a week and others are experiencing far more prolonged symptoms that are limiting their ability to fulfill their academic obligations. So if it's, if they're experiencing those symptoms that are preventing them from progressing through their course, that's when we say, you know, give us a call. Let's talk about how long you were impacted. Um, And, and because maybe it's something like an accommodation of an extension could address. Right. Yeah, or just more time on an exam. We tend to sort of get into this theory of talk to the faculty for this, but any accommodations talk to accessibility services. But I'm sure there are lots of situations where students feel comfortable to disclose that they're having challenges and they're experiencing some kind of a barrier. Um, So just like any kind of conversation, you want to have a conversation with someone, but if students don't feel comfortable disclosing, then definitely they can come and chat with us because we you know, we're obligated under the FOIP Act and we do protect students' privacy. Uh, we don't divulge any information about a student's diagnosis or what's really going on. It's really the situation we're trying to find an accommodation for, right? And we continue on from that that way. So I encourage people to just disclose um, that they are experiencing something and we can try to assist them. Yeah. And I, everyone I've met from Accessibility Service has been really friendly. So for any students who are wondering, um, absolutely a group of people you can call and be like, I have a question and, and they're all lovely. So I think when a lot of students think of accommodations, the first thing that comes to mind is extra time on exams. I think that that's something that um, kind of is in the discourse of accommodations and the first thing people think of. But what other accommodations does AU offer students or um, what other types of scenarios would require accommodations and how does AU support students with 
with needs they might not think of as impacting their studies, but they're like, well, this is my whole life. Yeah. So you might actually end up regretting asking that question that I'm the one answering because this is something, this is a kind of thing that I love to evaluate. And you are correct that there's often a perception that accommodation means like extra time or adjusting the, the exam environment, like a private room. Um, but there's so much more that we can talk about when it comes to accommodations. Um, I mean, our people in our office, we can read a wide variety of information on disability, get to understand them, and then also read the medical documentation, what that says about disability. But the reality is disability is unique to the individual. Somebody on paper may have a fairly similar diagnosis, but how it presents in a learning activity may wildly differ from one individual to the next. Um, so when we're, took it, when we're looking at accommodations for the sake of an accommodation, we might actually end up defeating the purpose of accommodations. So the example I always talk about, uh, extra time. So if a student is, is experiencing chronic pain, uh, an attention disorder, the idea of spending time and a half in an exam is similar to a form of torture. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's gonna be a self-defeating accommodation. So some students come to our office and they know right away, this is what I need. And it's really easy to, to work with them. There might be some ideas that we can throw at them. Um, but for students who really have, have never accessed accommodations or their experience with AU is so different and they don't know what they need, I always encourage them, reflect on successful learning experience. When did you learn something new and it felt easy or you walked away from the learning experience really excited about what you learned and felt you nailed it? Um, you know, and, and sometimes it takes a bit of prodding um, because we tend to frame learning in the context of education, but it could even be something like a hobby. Mm. So, you know, evaluate why was that learning experience successful? How, how did they learn? Did, was it reading, talking, doing, videos, a combination? So now we have a bit of an idea of what works. Then we can take a look at the AU environment and what's different from the learning experience that was successful for them and the barriers they're experiencing at AU. Is it reading comprehension, written expression? Um, maybe it really boils down to time management and everything's getting done in an absolute panic and the student hasn't actually had time to process and, and store into long-term memory what they've learned. And, you know, cramming, great idea for rote memorization exams, but when you're building foundational skills for higher level learning, cramming mm. may not be the best way to do it. So now we have a bit of those, like a picture of what works and what's, what the barriers they're experiencing. We can, now we can talk about accommodation because they can range from the implementation of equipment or technology to working with the student to implement various services. Um, so the, instead of the conversation uh, being about what accommodations are available, I always try to steer it towards the strengths and the barriers experienced, um, and then go forth with a, a plan to, to implement those barriers, to, to reduce those barriers. That's really interesting. You mentioned, um reviewing medical documentation. What kind of documentation do students need to have to, to come to you to access accommodations? 
there's kind of two pronged approach that we take with students. If a student is coming to our office looking for some very straightforward accommodations um, and, and, you know, let's use attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So student has ADHD, but they don't want to go and get a full ADHD assessment, but they have a medical doctor or even a psychologist that they work with that is familiar with their diagnosis. Have them write a note. And by law, uh, like the case law was established, I believe COVID's impacted my ability to, you know, my how to tell time over the last couple <laughs> of years. Um, but it, case law established in Ontario that students don't have to actually disclose the nature of their disability, but they do need to have medical uh, documentation that confirms that there are functional limitations to fulfilling academic obligations. So from there, they can go to like somebody familiar with their medical history and just have a have like the note state the student experiences disability. Here's how it impacts academics. Our office can use that to establish disability. Um, however, if you are accessing uh, provincial funding, they have different requirements because mm. You, if you establish disability with your provincial funding agency, there's grant money available that our office can assist uh, students in exploring. But the funding agencies have very particular requirements um, for, um, for, for establishing disability status. That's interesting. And if I can just add, so for a lot of conditions like sensory or functional, um, this, right now, I guess we're looking for that medical professional to verify the impact, right? Mm. Um, compared to someone who's not in the medical profession and doesn't have a history with that individual. And I know for some students who are seeking more complex accommodation plans, we do have the VOA form that I know some students can be a little bit intimidated by or it can be cost prohibitive in, in having that completed. So for those students who are just, I mean, some doctors charge like $10 a page or more. So for those students who just need to establish that, that presence of, of the barriers that they're experiencing, we don't need the whole document, but the whole document really does assist us um, in, in, I hate to say it, but like confirming that they're eligible for these accommodations. Right. So every so often I hear from students that have a diagnosis, whether it's autism or ADHD, um, that have said that they haven't contacted accessibility services. Um, and I think there are a variety of reasons sometimes that there's, well, I feel like I'm doing okay. Um, and others, maybe there are some other barriers. And what would you say to those students um, in terms of like, how do you know if you need accommodations? Um, yeah, how do you know if you need accommodations? There's no real black and white answer to this. Uh, accommodations are wide ranging, very diverse, and they're gonna depend on the student what, and what they experience in that course, in that program. Accommodation planning is ever evolving conversation and it's, it's never written in stone. 
I know a lot of students, um, when they, especially when they receive a new diagnosis, they'll be like, they'll contact us and say, well, my doctor said I should reach out to you. And I, one of the things that I'll often talk to them about is I'm not worried about a student on their good day. I'm worried about how do we ensure that if this student experiences fluctuation in symptoms, how do we find ways that they can still progress and successfully complete a course? So let's talk about what you're like on your worst day and we'll prepare for your worst day. And then we can implement a, a, an accommodation plan that's there for you if you need it. Um, it, it. You may never use it and that's okay. I don't, like I said, I don't worry about you on your, on your good days. Um, we just want to make sure that we can address those days where you are, you know, really experiencing limitations in completing coursework. Interesting. So what should someone do if they think they might have a learning disability, but aren't sure? I was recently reading, um, I think it was a Twitter thread actually by someone that, that they were saying, you know, I didn't realize life could be easier because this is my every day that this was, everything's always been hard. And after their diagnosis, they were like, oh, oh, there are strategies and resources that could help me. Um, and they found that really helpful. And so how do you know if maybe you've fallen through the cracks, you haven't ever been assessed, like you were just that kid that got shuffled from year to year to year without anyone being like, that kid needs some help. Um, and what should someone do if they suspect they have a learning disability, but have never been diagnosed? The short answer, book an appointment to speak with me. <laughs> As Lisa's what, calendar fills up. For the yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this is often a, a realization, for a lack of better words, that students haven't come to lightly. It's something that they have given a lot of thought to. And in particular, like I do see this a lot with ADHD and in particular um, with women um, never diagnosed as a child. Uh, males tend to be diagnosed uh, younger for ADHD because they often present with behavioral issues. Whereas girls in the classroom don't present with so many, with so many behavioral issues so they slip through the cracks so when a student reaches out to us and tells that tells us you know I'm just not able to complete courses I don't understand what's going on we do have a screening assessment that we can access and it's just it's really having a conversation about learning experiences as a child and learning experiences as an adult now I am not a registered psychologist and I am not a trained assessor, but the screening can provide some insights and then decide, you know, how do we go from here? So, you know, maybe it looks like, yes, you might have something going on um, beyond just struggling in, in your course. So we'll talk about what province or territory they live in and ways that they can access a psych ed assessment. The models vary from province to province to territory to territory. But again, uh, most students have a pretty good idea that there's something else happening when they're participating in their studies, just never maybe had that opportunity to fully explore it for a wide range of reasons. 
So would you say that everyone who has a diagnosis should contact accessibility services? Or do you think there are aspects or there are situations where um, you find that that's not necessary? So it's going to be, I'm, this is going to be one of those annoying answers. It depends on the person. <laughs> and, you know, some, I've, I've chatted with a number of individuals through the years who they know there's something else going on. Um, we live in a world that's really good at pointing out differences. Mm -hmm. So autism, they, they're pretty sure they have autism, but is it worthwhile? I've managed, I'm not AU in itself in the way it's formatted may be an accommodation for that student and they don't need anything beyond. It's, it all depends on the individual and if they feel that they are not achieving what they're capable of, that's when maybe a good idea to reach out to us and, and let's, let's explore that. Awesome. So we've talked a lot about learning disabilities. Um, for other disabilities, um, I, I think sometimes it's easy to be like, well, everything's online. So, so maybe the fact that someone is in a wheelchair isn't as relevant and to get into that mentality. What supports or processes are available for students that have um, physical disabilities? Again, it's going to be that evaluation on how it impacts learning activities. Mm -hmm. So if a student has a physical disability, um, let's say for example, one student that I've worked with in the past, uh, they weren't able to take their exams using ProctorU because the way that they needed to relieve just pressure points from sitting in their chair, had the proctor continually interrupting them because it would take them off camera. And so what we can do is we can explore exam accommodations to ensure that those barriers in demonstrating their learning don't occur in the future. Uh, again, it, it's all in what is the impact. And right. even though somebody might be in a chair, doesn't mean that they don't experience those accessibility issues. It's just going to be in a different way because they're not actually entering a building. Fair enough. Are there, is there anything else you have the floor to, uh, you, you would like to say to students, given that you have the open mic? Well, there's always tons of things we want to talk to students with because we we seem like we don't get to, you know, to talk enough or we get to see each other face to face. So, um, I just want to encourage um, students that if you are experiencing challenges or barriers to contact us um, through either email asd at athabaskau.ca or um, check out our website and uh, support services accessibility services it's right you can get to it right off the front page of the Athabasca university website and just check out the things that we do and um, also you can call and be transferred to us uh, from the 800 number. So we're definitely here to, to help students uh, understand, explore. The one piece that we haven't talked a lot about is that accessibility of Athabasca University. And so there are some real um, challenges that some students might encounter, you know, with content or with courses. And that's, that's around maybe captions for videos or um, mm. PDFs are not searchable with 
applications that, that students use. So that's also something that we try to foster that culture of accessibility. So when someone encounters material and content that doesn't work for them um, due to the impact of their disability, they just, again, can reach out to us and we can try to remediate those documents and that content and help the university to continue to move forward um, in our strategic plan to, to remove barriers and be, you know, be that online accessible place. Anyone can go to school. Because um, yeah. just because it's online and digital doesn't mean it's always accessible. And I'll be the first person to, to state that. So we're working towards that and we are doing, we are doing a good job. I, th I think you are too. Um, and I really appreciate you both coming to the podcast. Um, we have a little tradition here that we often end with some more um, lighter but personal questions um, to just make sure that our, our students really get to know people. So um, maybe we'll go to Lisa first and then Carrie for each of these. So if you were on a vacation, would you want to go to the mountain or the beach? Oh, that is so easy. Beach, totally, absolutely. I spent two months in Costa Rica this year and I, I, I would have done just about anything just to stay there forever. And it was because I was by a beach. I feel Give like the ocean you, any day. Don't can't you work remote? You're at an online university. Uh, it's still Canadian based. Fair, fair. There's all sorts of implications there. So yeah. So Lisa can't move to Costa Rica quite yet. Okay. Not quite yet. We'll we'll find a way though. Yeah. Not unless <laughs> I'll be able to take her bags, carry her bags for. Her. Um, for me, I I you know I I remember the first condo that I had. I I painted a mural on the wall. Um, of mountains and then sort of leading down to a beach and so if I could find that mix of both I would love it um, mm. not because I'm a I'm a skier but because I like the view or I like that uh, being surrounded by mountains and just having a, something to look at uh, while I'm sitting on the beach when it's really warm yeah <laughs> that is fair I, I like see, that answer and see for me it's all about the sound it's the waves, mm. the water. It, I find water an exceptionally relaxing, decompressing sound. So an ocean wave coming in for me is the world's most perfect sound. Nice. It is a nice sound. I, um, I like trees. So I think mountains would be my thing. I don't really like being sandy. The texture of sand is not my favorite, but I have children. <laughs> so I'm forced to go to the beach anyways. It's just the way it is. So if you had a day off, would you want it to be sunny or rainy? Oh, you know, I could see, can I have both? I want the best of both worlds. That's the kind of person I am. I like Fair. eating my cake and taking it, all of it. So, you know, if I could have like the morning, I'm a bit of a morning person. I'm usually up around five, between five and 6 a.m. So if I can have a nice sunny morning and that's when I can get so much done, and then it could rain the rest of the day and I can go inside, I can read, doodle, write, whatever it is that, yeah. But uh, because my best time is first thing in the morning, I love to have sunshine. How about you, yeah, I'm, I'm with you too, Lisa. I love sunshine, but what I, what I, what I think is, um, is really cool is when it's sunny and it starts to rain and every time it happens, I go, what, what's going on, right? So um, I'm constantly amazed by nature and how that happens. I don't even know how that happens, but, but the a little bit of sprinkle, it's good. It's not the sprinkler. 
I know my kids used to just be in total disbelief the first few times we had those nice sunny rain pours because that is the perfect time to go puddle jumping. And I had small children, so I could, you know, go puddle jumping for them. And my kids were always just astounded that this was an activity their their mother is taking them is puddle jumping. That's awesome. When it's sunny and rainy at the same time, you get rainbows too. It's always good to feel. Yes, absolutely. So if you were on a road trip and you stop at a gas station and you get yourself a snack, what gas station snack is your favorite? Oh, this was on CBC this morning too. Like, was it? I yeah, and me, Ruffles, all dressed potato chips. Yep, mm. and a coffee. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so I think every road trip. I, I actually saw a tweet about this not that long ago. Um, that was just so perfect. Every single road trip should start to that gas station store. And what you come out with should look like you were some completely unrestrained eight-year-old and given, you know, your dad's card. Um, yeah. I'm, I want it all because you never know what you're going to feel like in half an hour. That's fair. This is something <laughs> I actually asked all my counselors a couple of weeks ago because I wanted to get them something for our counselor retreat. And I was like, if I phrase it like this, they'll all pick something I'll be able to find, right? No, one of them's like, I would get an eclair. And I'm like, Blake, do you you have like better gas station snacks out east? Or I don't know. He didn't get an eclair because I couldn't find one. But. It's the Tim Hortons gas station, right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I haven't seen eclairs at Tim Hortons in ages, though. Yeah. Um, but I remember them from when I was a kid. That's all my favorite. What is your favorite sport? My favorite sport is beach volleyball. Oh, that's a hard one because I, it's probably easier, my non-favorite sports. Um, I really, I love sport, watching sports. I always wanted to be a good athlete, um, Mm. but I was an athlete that just got an E for effort. Um, Both of, like, I, I love baseball. I am a huge Blue Jays fan. I've been a Blue Jays fan like my whole life. Well, since I, well, uh, upon knowing that we, Canada even had a Canadian team. Um, But I also had two kids growing up, played pretty competitive soccer um, Mm. with one going on to collegiate uh, soccer. So it very quickly became a favorite sport. Nice. I also am the type of athlete that gets an E for effort. Um, And when I was in high school, (laughs) there was a rugby team and they were kind of like, you come to practice, you can play. And we weren't very good, um, but it was the best sports experience I've ever had because the fact that I'm not very good at sports wasn't a barrier. Like it was accessible to me as a clumsy, yeah, not very sporty person. Um, and I, I've never forgotten that. I think it was really well done. Um, That's awesome. I love it when there's the, those opportunities for all people to enjoy it. It's you know, whatever I usually got to, I made teams just because of my attitude. And mm. I was a bit of a workout horse, AKA didn't know when to stop. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. why a lot of coaches would, would select me for the team because I just never gave up. Um, 
I mean, I was a mediocre player at best, but I just, it was just something about the, you know, getting out doing stuff that I always enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like right now I'm really into uh, blind ice hockey, right. And the women's league that's growing in Canada. And for me, I'm getting this resurgence of hockey um, in my life as an adult learning to play hockey and skate, et cetera, et cetera. Like I have, I'm so bad, but I'll continue to play hockey. And while there's an opportunity for, you know, a partially sighted um, woman to play hockey. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things my high school was really good at was like, here's an opportunity for people who are awesome at this. And here's an opportunity for everyone else to still do the thing. Um, and that's something that I think we should do better as a society. So yeah, last question, sure. very serious. Is cereal soup? No, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Well, okay, why or why not? Because I don't put milk or yogurt in my, with my vegetables. Oh, I lie like a sidewalk. Yeah, no, totally, I do. In borscht, I'll put sour cream, so... That's true. I cross, I cross the boundaries many times. So why can't we call it soup? I don't know. Let's, let's do it. Lisa, is cereal soup? Oh, no, no, that's fully crossing a boundary that we just can't do as a society. It might be to the detriment of all. <laughs> cereal is cereal with milk. See, I would say it's not soup because I don't like milk in my cereal and like a bunch of dry grain things are definitely not soup. Um, whereas a soup has to, has to have a liquid. So it's sort of a defining feature of soup, but. Uh, well, yeah. and I think soup always has an element of like that cooking, right? Like the raw ingredients are cooked oh. to achieve a flavor. That's a good point. This is not something someone has pointed out yet yeah, this is a reoccurring question I ask people <laughs> on the podcast I'm always interested in like the different reasoning um but no one has mentioned that soup even cold soup is often usually cooked first yes it's a good point exactly well what about oatmeal is oatmeal cereal then oh that's a whole different realm I have that's... also asked people if oatmeal is stew oh wow you're good right the the other question is a hot dog a sandwich but um, <laughs> we might have to leave that one, right? Let's do that on the next podcast. Yeah, the next podcast <laughs> is a hot dog a sandwich. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming, uh, Carrie and Lisa. It's been a blast having you. Uh, thank you, students, for listening. Um, that's been another episode of Open Mic. Talk to you next time.